Well, we are launching in again. Uh, we're into our second lesson on the book of Proverbs. And so I hope you've got your lessons, hope you've got your Bibles. We're going to be uh, studying together the... And we're so grateful that Dr. DeRose was here uh, last week, Dr. David DeRose, who launched the, uh, the study in the book of Proverbs, launched this quarter. And uh, we're going to be doing lesson number two. And I should mention to our viewers, uh, we're singing some Christmas songs here still, and I know you're viewing this in January, uh, but we, you know, we record this three weeks in advance, and so uh, just consider it an extended holiday season. Hope, you en hope you've been enjoying. So the lesson study today is ears to feet, ears to feet, which automatically, and some of you are beginning to get to know me better, automatically made me think about the, the English language and uh, how difficult it is to figure out at times. You know, we have, um, we have noses that run and we also have feet that smell. And so the English language can be challenging and tricky at times. But we're going to talk about ears to feet, and uh, there's a reason it's titled this way, and it's an excellent study. I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs, and we're going to read our scripture reading here this morning in chapter 4, and we'll read verse 26 and 27. Notice what it says here in the Word of God, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, and we use the uh, New King James Version during these studies, so you know. All right, uh, our memory text is... Proverbs chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. It says, ponder the path of your what? Ponder the path of your feet. And that word ponder just simply means to weigh. So put your actions into one scale and then put the Word of God on the other scale and see if they equate, see if they, they match. So ponder or weigh your, the path of your feet, and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. Hmm. Now, according to reality, and we know this all too well, that uh, balance and equilibrium help us stay upright when standing and, uh, and also know where we are in relation to gravity. Now, our balance system, as we again know, helps us to walk and to run without falling over. Uh, balance is controlled through signals to the brain, through the eyes, through the sensory system, the skin, the muscles, and the joints, and also, interestingly, the inner ear. Balance is maintained through the inner ear. The inner ear is the balance system. Uh, in, the balance system consists of semicircular canals that contain fluid and sensors that detect uh, rotational movement of the head. So if you move your head up and down, side to side, tilt it one way or another, that uh, sends messages to the brain to tell you where you are in your space and, uh, or in your moving. Now, if anyone has anyone ever had vertigo before? I've had vertigo as well, and it is no fun. You know, you're lying in bed, you get up, and all of a sudden, the whole room is moving and spinning. You can't, you really can't see anything. It's hard to gain your equilibrium. You can't gain balance, and uh, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And uh, interestingly, vertigo is directly related to the inner ear. Your balance is determined by what's happening inside. Uh, and for Christians... Keeping one's balance 
in this topsy-turvy world is absolutely critical. And our balance is determined by how well we hear, how well we hear and how well we listen to and apply sound instruction. And for the Christian, it's the, the Word of God. Amen? Sure. So, uh, our balance as Christians, walking upright, not deterring to the left or to the right, walking that straight and narrow way is determined by how well we hear, listen, and apply the instruction that we receive. So, let's take a look at this. Let's go to Sunday's lesson and talk about hear, to hear. Proverbs chapter 4, and uh, let's read verses 5 and 7 together. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. And I understand someone, we're going to have someone read Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1, 4, 10, 13, and 21. You've got a big one this morning. So, okay, right down here. I'm hoping we can get you. Fantastic. Thank you. We'll come to you in just a moment. Let's read together Proverbs 4, verses 5 and 7. What is the instruction? Get what? Wisdom. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all your getting, get understanding. So, get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And so, the question is, what is biblical wisdom? We looked at this last week, so just by way of quick review, uh, genuine wisdom, biblical wisdom, is simply biblical knowledge applied to the life. That's simply all it is. Wisdom is not necessarily just having smarts, but know, knowing how to apply the right thing to your life. That's biblical wisdom. Knowledge is different from knowledge. Knowledge and understanding are the basis of biblical wisdom, yes, but knowing the right thing doesn't guarantee doing the right thing. How many of you know that it's good to exercise on a daily basis? All right, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But how many of you exercise on a daily basis? <laughs> Knowing the right thing to do doesn't always equate in doing the right thing you see. Um, but knowledge, wisdom is dependent upon knowledge and understanding. So you've heard me say this before, knowledge is knowing that a tomato, and you know what a tomato is, it's bigger, juicier, more tasty than a tomato, so you know that. A tomato is, uh, is knowing a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom knows not to put the tomato in a fruit salad, right? And so, that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. By the way, uh, and this was pointed out last week too, the, in the Old Testament, the appeal is to gain wisdom, and it's the equivalent to uh, the New Testament appeal to receive righteousness, to receive holiness, and, uh, and to receive charity or love. And uh, so, it's the equivalent. Gain wisdom. That's why the, the, the wise man said here, get wisdom. It's the principal thing. Get wisdom is what he says. It's the same thing as acquiring, it's got to do with character, righteousness, charity, and holiness. And the first step to acquiring wisdom, according to the wise man, is you have to hear. You have to put on your ears and listen. So, have everyone got their ears on this morning? All right, you're listening? All right. So, uh, if you've got your ears, uh, if you've got ears and we, we have ears, we can listen. Some of us hear in different ways as well. Some, some listen through sign language and uh, yet they're still listening. Um, and so, we have our ears, we can listen and that's the basis 
the first step to acquiring wisdom. Okay, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Where were we again? Right down here. Okay, thank you. 1, and we've got 4, 10, 13, 20, and 21. Thank you. Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. He taught me also, and said unto me, Let thine heart retain thy words, keep thy commandments, and live. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. Take fast hold of instruction, let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Thank you very much. Do you notice what the, uh, the constant encouragement is? To do what? To hear, right? Or to listen, to pay attention, really. And there's also, uh, and I don't know if you noticed it, but there's also a correlation between listening and the heart. Listening and the heart. Um, in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 9, you have there the prayer of King Solomon. And he's, uh, he's been given the task of, of being the king, ruling over Israel. And he comes to God in prayer and he prays uh, primarily for wisdom. And in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, he prayed for a hearing heart, or in, in your translation, it probably just says un, an understanding heart. But in the original, it actually means a hearing heart, a heart that understands. And, uh, and this prayer reveals a couple of things. First of all, it reveals the Hebrew thought that the seat of wisdom is not located in the head, but is located in the, the heart, you see. Or at least in the, uh, I should say, in the, not in the head, but in the heart and through the ears. And then second of all, that our first and greatest need is a heart that understands. And what is a heart that understands? First of all, a heart that understands its own problems, our own problems, a heart that understands our own needs, and also a heart that understands the will of God. What's God's will for me? How, what should I be doing to live for the Lord and to please Him, you see? And so that's the understanding. Solomon, Solomon, when he prayed, he needed practical wisdom, he needed keen insight, he needed clear judgment. And uh, certainly we could all use a little bit of that today, can't we? Sure. But there's an interesting connection between the heart and the ears in Hebrew thought. And uh, hence uh, Solomon praying for a hearing heart, a hearing heart. Did you ever, have your parents ever tell you when uh, you weren't listening to them, get the cauliflower out of your ears? Did they ever tell you that? And I don't know why they always use cauliflower, because from that, from that first day that I heard about cauliflower, I didn't want to eat cauliflower, because cauliflower apparently grew in your ears. Didn't want to do that. But your parents asked you, or t tell you, get the cauliflower out of your ears, because you weren't what? You weren't listening, right? Now, not to tell them my kids, because we've all done it, and uh, I don't often ask their permission, maybe I should, they're getting older, but we've all done it, we've all done it. Uh, we find it amusing as parents, and I find it amusing as well, when you ask your children to do something, and they say, what, what, what did you say? What did you say? And you've asked them to do something that you know, and they know, they don't want to do. And somehow, they didn't quite hear what you said. You've had that experience too, parents, right? Yeah, sure. Maybe teachers. Teachers have had that experience as well. Yeah. Um, but you tell them you're going to go to Burger King and get some fries. Oh, yeah, 
we're there, we're going to go, we're on our way. They heard you loud and clear, but you tell them to do something they don't want to do. Sorry, what? Sorry, could you say that again? I didn't quite hear you. It's, there's a connection that's interesting, it's quite revealing, a connection between the things that we want to do or don't want to do and how well we hear. Husbands and wives have the same problem. It's not just a child problem. Honey, what was that you said? Dishes? Huh? I can't say that again. Uh, make the bed? Clean the toilet? No, I, maybe you said something different. Let me say that again. Sometimes we have the same problem, don't we? There is certainly a connection between uh, what we hear and, uh, and what, we want to, or what we want to do or not want to do. And uh, listening for instruction certainly beats the school of hard knocks, doesn't it? Certainly beats learning the hard way. You know, I'm a middle child, and my, uh, I, I, had the, I had the privilege as a middle, middle child of knowing what my parents approved of and didn't approve of by watching my sister get into trouble. And so, uh, so I learned by observation, by instruction, through the experience of my older sister. She's a, she's a good girl now, it's okay, but just in case she's watching. But uh, she would get into trouble. And so as a, as a middle child, and we have a, uh, a younger brother, we would watch, to watch our sister, see if she got into trouble when she did this or that. Now, unfortunately, it didn't always take, because all we, sometimes we learned to be more sneaky than our sister did, and that's unfortunate. But it's interesting, we, we, uh, we learned the right and the wrong way by observation, by an external, by external instruction. Does wisdom, biblical true wisdom, come from within or from an external source? external source, that's right. It doesn't come from within. True wisdom is something that we don't retrieve from within, from our brilliance uh, or from our own excellent reasoning. It's received from an external source as a gift from God, really. Uh, Think about it. Children receive instruction from their parents. Uh, Pupils receive instruction from their teachers. Uh, And uh, Christians receive instruction from the from the Lord, from the Word of God, amen? Sure. You know, that, that just saying that kind of undermines um, certain basic um, psychological principles that are adopted in today's humanistic um, psychology. Um, the, there is a questioning technique as if you know the answer within yourself. If you just ask enough questions, you're going to arrive at the right answer. Is that true? It's not true. All wisdom and knowing the right thing to do comes from an external source, uh, comes from God, from His Word, you see, from experience, from parents, from teachers. So is wisdom important? You better believe it. That's very important. As a matter of fact, we just, we read there in Proverbs chapter 4, get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal, principal thing, therefore get it. It's very important. So there's a, there's a, a sense of searching for wisdom, because we don't have it within ourselves. We need to go after and we need to search for wisdom. And, uh, and of course, the best place to search for wisdom is right here in God's holy word. And we're to search for wisdom with how much of our hearts do you think? With all of our hearts. That's right. With all of our hearts. Listening and hearing with all of our hearts, no matter how hard the hearing is. Sometimes the hearing is hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Parents uh, have to explain certain things to their kids and it's hard for the kid to listen because they know the parent is right or the teacher is talking to a pupil and they know the teacher is right. And it's hard to listen sometimes to instruction that's going to better your life. 
Uh, I want you to notice the benefits of hearing well, listening properly. By the way, Jesus often invited us to do what? To hear, right? He that has, he that has ears, let him hear. You go to the book of Revelation, to the seven churches. Uh, the, the Spirit says, he that has ears, let him hear what the Spirit saith or says to the churches. Uh, we're encouraged over and over again to listen, and not just to, just, not just to, to catch a sound, but to listen intently. Why? For the purpose of applying what we're listening to to our lives. That's biblical listening. That's biblical listening and hearing, you see. Look at the, look at the benefits of hearing. Proverbs chapter 4, we're going to look at uh, a few verses. Look at verse 6. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 6. Do not forsake her, and she will do what? Preserve you. Now, uh, Solomon is, is, uh, is talking about wisdom in the feminine um, form. And uh, he says, do not forsake her, for she will preserve your life. Love her, and she will do what? Keep you, protect you from doing what's wrong and hurting yourself. Look at verse 8. Exalt her, and she will do what? Promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. Verse 9. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you. And then we're going to jump down to verse 13 and 22. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your what? Your life. And verse 22, for they are life to those who find them, that is wisdom, and they are life to those who find them, and health to all your flesh. So, let me ask the question again. Is wisdom a good thing? Gaining true biblical wisdom a good thing? Yes. Has to do with character, doesn't it? Has to do with the course... We, uh, we set for our lives. We ask God to lead us and to guide our footsteps and uh, listening to instruction because we don't want to go to the left or to the right. We don't want to uh, do anything that's going to hurt ourselves or to hurt others. And so that's why wisdom is the principal thing. You can't beat those benefits, can you? They bring life, they bring health, and uh, we'll see why as we move along here in our lesson. Let's go to Monday. Monday's lesson, Protect Your Family. The wise man talks about the protection of several things. We're going to talk about the family. We're going to talk about our friendships and our work. And we're also going to talk about protecting ourselves. Proverbs chapter 5, that's where we are. Proverbs chapter 5, protect your family. So when we obtain wisdom, it doesn't mean that all of our problems are solved. It doesn't mean everything's going to be uh, honky-dory, as they would say. Everything's going to be A-OK. Um, when we gain wisdom, it actually, it may mean that some of our, there may, may appear to be more obstacles in the way, more challenges that come. Um, so don't, uh, don't be surprised when there's a challenge. First Peter 5 verse 8 reminds us that there is a devil like, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may what? Devour. Those are fighting words. Those are strong words. He's not like a big pussycat wanting to come up and snuggle against you and lick you. No, he's a roaring lion. Uh, in, in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, we're told that the dragon was angry, enraged with the woman, the church, and went to make what? War. Those are strong words. The devil is intent and bent on our demise and our destruction, you see. And so obtaining wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above, from God's word, uh, will produce some obstacles along the way. There are two dangers that we're encouraged to guard against in Proverbs chapter 5. And so what are they? Look at verse, uh, let's see here, verse 2, verse 2. By the way, 
By the way, the instruction you get in the book of Solomon, and you get it from the Word of God uh, as a whole, isn't just, uh, God doesn't instruct us in practical wisdom just to fill our heads with, um, with pieties and platitudes and nice notions, um, but so that we might correctly govern ourselves, our lives, and to act prudently for our best interest. God is interested in living lives that glorify Him and that preserve our lives. And in preserving ours, we benefit those around us because no man's an island. We have an influence on each other, amen? We certainly do. So, these, this counsel is not just to fill your head with knowledge. It's good to memorize Scripture, but if the Scripture hasn't reached your heart and you're not applying it to your life, then it's no good. And so, the instruction we're going to be looking at here and that we're going to uh, review over this quarter isn't just to make us feel good about the knowledge we've received, but so that that knowledge might be applied to our lives. Look at, um, look at verse 2. There are two dangers that we need to guard against that the wise man encourages us to be mindful of in, in Proverbs chapter 5. Look at verse 2. That you may preserve discretion and your what? Your lips may keep knowledge. So, the first danger that we need to be careful of is inappropriate words, inappropriate speech. We need to be careful as the followers of Jesus that we don't convey an inappropriate or confused message. Um, and, and that is giving Jesus our tongues, our lips, right? Uh, we studied last quarter in the book of James. James has got a lot to say about the tongue. It's an unruly member. Such a small thing makes a big difference. Um, we've been, we talked about that. And so here, the wise man also encourages us to be mindful of our speech. Uh, as Christians, uh, even a white lie we're going to seek to avoid. Uh, lying, we don't want to be cursing. Some of us come from a past that, uh, where, uh, where there was plenty of cursing maybe in the home. Maybe you work where you work right now, there's plenty of that going on. But I want to tell you, by God's grace, you don't have to succumb. You don't have to let your tongue fly. You don't have to just let things roll off and, um, and uh, uh, say stuff that, that wouldn't be becoming of a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, when Peter was there witnessing the trial of Jesus, uh, some of them, uh, some folk came to him inquiring as to whether he was one of Jesus' disciples. And what did Peter do to convince them that he wasn't? He cursed. He cursed. Um, so you want to you you let folk know you're not a Christian, just let stuff fly out of your mouth. Uh, there is no excuse for even this, the environment where we might find ourselves at work. We don't need to succumb to that. We can rise above it by God's grace. Let Him help you. He, he helped me. He helped me when I used to work in the restaurant industry. Man, just stuff would come off my tongue. The environment wasn't good. And um, when I gave my life to the Lord, I gave Him my lips. And uh, by His grace, He has helped me and He will help you. Also, as a Christian, we want to avoid and watch the idea. We want to be careful. of. We don't want to be criticizing folk, uh, issuing harsh judgment on anybody. So the first warning is regarding our lips. By the way, if you squeezed, uh, if you took a bottle of toothpaste, how easy is it for the toothpaste to come out of the bottle? Pretty easy, right? Some of you have seen, you've had that experience. It just all comes out and you took out too much and you take a spoon and see if you can put the toothpaste back in the toothpaste bottle. How easy is it to put the toothpaste back in? It's kind of like our words. Once they've gone, they've gone. Hard to take back what we say. And so the Christian is encouraged to be mindful and thoughtful of what they're about to say. Many people's mouths run faster than their brains. 
And, um, and so, um, so just kind of need to put some, you know, slow it down a bit, take it out of fifth gear, overdrive, and put it into third gear maybe sometimes. Um, God is encouraging us to be careful. Hard to take our words back. We want to use our words to bless others and to uplift them, to encourage them and to strengthen their walk. We don't know what struggle someone might be going through. We don't know what hardship someone might be facing. And so a nice word of encouragement would be a blessing to many. What's the second area of, uh, of danger that the wise man admonishes us here in Proverbs chapter 5? What's the second area? Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. And then it goes on to delineate how dangerous it would be to be uh, taken away, uh, allured, by inappropriate company. In this case, a, a woman that is appealing to the, the fleshly lusts of a man. And it could be reversed. It could be even a man appealing to a woman's lower nature. And so the admonition is to watch inappropriate company. Um, someone has Proverbs chapter 7, verses 14 to 20. I'm just going to have you actually read verses 14 to 16. Who's got that for us? Thank you very much. Aaron, appreciate that. Uh, Proverbs chapter 7, verses 14. Let's do, oh, you know what, go all the way to 20, that's fine. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 14 to 20. We're going to get you there in just a little moment. We'll cue you in just a moment here. So we're going to come to Revel uh, Proverbs, rather, chapter 7, verses 14 to 20. But just keep in mind that in this description that we're going to read, it starts with words from the seductress. It starts with words, and it ends in the bed. And so it's very dangerous. Okay, Aaron, if you don't mind. Proverbs 4, 7, 14 to 20. I have peace offerings with me. This day I have paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come. Let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. For the good man is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He hath taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the day appointed. Thank you very much. So from the lips to the bed. Hmm. According to the wise man, according to what was just read, is the grass greener on the other side? That grass is not greener on the other side at all. Verse 9, verse 9 of chapter, uh, is it chapter 7 that I'm looking at here? Verse 9 of chapter 7. Go back to verse, chapter 5. Let's go back to chapter 5, verse 9. Notice, if you follow after her and you're seduced by her, notice what it says, you will end up giving what? Honor to others and your years will be what type of years? Cruel ones, that's right. So according to the wise man, grass is not greener on the other side. When, when a husband steps outside of his marriage vows, when a, when a wife steps outside of hers, and, um, and let, me, let me just say this here, I, I think primarily we're mostly adults here, um, it, it may be an actual woman or an actual man, but it may be a fantasy in a magazine or on the internet Either way, it's dangerous. Your reputation will be trashed, according to verse 9. Your life will be hard because of the guilt, because of the sorrow that was brought to the family and to the home and to the relationship. According to verse uh, 10, uh, 
this type of sexual addiction brings poverty. And verse 11, it fills the mind with horror, guilt, and it ends up destroying the health. Now, look at verse 14 with me, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 14. It says, I was on the verge of total ruin, talking about sexual addiction. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of where, friends? The assembly and the congregation. Is the church immune to impurity and sexual immorality? Are individuals immune from it? Now, the devil, remember, is making war on God's church. You remember, and by the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're told that all the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world have come. In Numbers chapter 25, you remember God's people are just about ready to go into Canaan. They're in a very beautiful area, ready to cross the Jordan. And uh, when you read the account in Patriarchs and Prophets, some of the women uh, from the other side started coming into the camp uh, of the Israelites. And before long, uh, there were many of them. And they were coming before their pagan god, the Israelites, to worship. And there was great immorality in the camp. Um, the devil is always seeking to lead people to violate one of God's commands. And in this case, that one we're talking about here is the seventh commandment, maintaining our integrity and, and uh, spirituality, spiritual purity. Will the devil try to do what he did to Israel, who are on the brink of the promised land again in the last days? You think one of his special efforts to attack and undermine God's people and to cause them to come undone and even be lost... Is, to, is in the area of the seventh commandment, sexual purity? Certainly. I want to read, from, read to you from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 457 and 458. I want you to notice what it says here. Satan well knows the material with which he has to deal in the human heart. He knows, for he has studied the, with fiendish intensity for thousands of years, the points which most easily assail every character, and through successive generations, he has wrought to overthrow the strongest men, princes in Israel, by the same temptations that were so successful at Baal Peor. That's there in Numbers chapter 25. Notice, she goes on to say, As we approach the close of time, as the people of God stand upon the borders of the heavenly Canaan, Satan will, as of old, redouble his efforts to prevent them from entering the goodly land. He lays his snares for every soul. So, no one's exempt. No one's exempt. And he employs the same agents now as he employed 3,000 years ago. Notice what they are. Worldly friendships, the charms of beauty, pleasure-seeking, mirth, feasting, and alcohol. He tempts the violation of the seventh commandment. And so, the devil, we're told, is going to redouble and is redoubling his efforts here in the close of time to cause God's people to come undone in this area. You know, you're even driving down the highway, you've got to turn a blind eye to some of the billboards, don't you, men? Yeah, not easy. Thank God he gave us muscles in our necks, right? You just turn your neck, turn your head the other way, you don't have to look, especially if your mind's going to wander in forbidden ground, you see. And, and women, you're not immune either. Not immune. The devil is going to double his efforts. And he's made it very easy for uh, sexual immorality to enter the home by, via the internet. Now a guy or a gal doesn't have to go to some store, 
park their car in the back, sneak in through the back door to pick up a magazine or a, or a video or DVD. Now they can just go online. It's right there. I'm not telling you that so that you go. I'm telling you that so that you're aware. And if it's a snare for you, the best thing to do is get rid of your iPhone and your computer. That's the only way to deal with it. As a matter of fact, that's the next question I had. How do we protect our families? How do we protect ourselves from sexual immorality? According to verse 8 of chapter 5 of Proverbs, the wise man says, remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. I mean, run away from that stuff. Flee. That's the encouragement. But the best, the best um, safeguard for your heart to preserve your marriage, your family. Look at verse, where am I? Verse 15, is it? Yeah, verse 15. Notice, drink water from your own where? Cistern. Drink water from your own cistern. Husbands, wives, you have your husband, you have your wife. Drink there. Be satisfied there with your husband, with your wife, and the running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them only be your own, not for the stranger with you. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice with the wife of your, your, your youth and a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you as, at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why would you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? So be satisfied with what you have and pour all your love and affection and attention on your spouse, your husband, your wife. And if you need to get married, get married. For singles, if you have a problem and you just you have these strong urges, I'm just referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul admonishes you ought to get married. Not, not so that you can go all crazy in your marriage, but, uh, but God has ordained marriage. And there is intimacy in that marriage relationship that will satisfy certain physical needs. Is it getting warm in here or is it just me? <laughs> we have to have this discussion from time to time, don't we? We have to talk about these things from time to time. And and, and it's good because when we do church and all the kids are here, it's just a little more difficult to, to talk straight about these things. But uh, we have to have this discussion from time to time. Pour your love and affection into your spouse. Don't let anyone derail you from your commitment to the, to the love of your life. The devil would like to cause you to come undone. And he's, and he's doing so with, with, with fiendish effort uh, in, in the remnant church today. And so may God help us. Well, uh, let's, let's move on. Let's go to Tuesday. Let's talk about friendships, Wednesday, our work, and uh, then Thursday, ourselves. Uh, someone said a friend, knows all, a friend is someone who knows all about you and still loves you. And uh, that's good news. Jesus loves us, doesn't he? Isn't Jesus our friend? Talk about someone knowing everything there is to know about someone, and yet we're told he still loves us. That's amazing stuff. Friendships are precious things. God talked to Moses as a man face to face, as a man talks to his friends, we're told in Exodus chapter 33. Jesus called his disciples his what? His friends in John 15 verse 15. According to Solomon, it might even be better to have a friend than a brother, especially if the brother is known for giving you grief, interestingly enough. So we want our friendships to be happy and lasting and biblical wisdom values relationships and appeals for thoughtfulness and for respect in these relationships. Look with me. Someone's got Proverbs chapter 6 verses 1 through 5. I'm going to have to get there relatively quick. Who's got that one? Nathan's got it right down here. 
<clears throat> Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, there is some, some very wise counsel here regarding money and friendships, because sometimes money can spoil friendships. Sometimes uh, we make decisions and rash and quick decisions in the attempt and hope to want to help a friend, but we end up overcommitting ourselves. And, uh, and a, a great problem is created in that relationship and in that friendship. And so uh, Solomon has some good counsel for us. Thank you very much, Nathan. My son, if thou be a surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth, thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself. When thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go, humble thyself and make sure thy friend. Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Hmm. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. All right. Thank you very much, Nathan. Appreciate it. So surety. What is surety? Financially backing someone's financial enterprise. You sign on the dotted line. If they get themselves into some trouble, you're the one who's going to end up covering for them. That's surety. The biblical admonition is to not go there, to not go there, because you'll end up being snared um, by promising to be responsible for paying for a sum larger than you can personally take care of, or by putting too much confidence in your friend's honesty and his ability to pay off that particular debt. And so there's good advice here. Solomon warns over and over again against being surety for anyone in Proverbs 11, Proverbs chapter 17, uh, because a friend may fail because of his own carelessness, because they know that the burden may, be, may fall on somebody else. You know, I, I may not have to deal with this and be so diligent because my friend's got my back. And if I fail, he's going to take care of it. And so it creates this, this mindset of, uh, of entitlement and slackness. Sometimes someone gets sick. Sometimes it's, there's a poor business decision. And you could end up being surety for somebody, end up having to cop the brunt of that. And that can affect your, affect your friendship. But at the same token, Solomon doesn't just warn against surety, but he also insists that a man should come to the aid of a friend when a friend is in need. So we need to keep in mind, and I like what the lesson says here on Tuesday, that the duty of charity does not exclude the duty of justice. So don't lose your head just because a friend's in trouble, financially or otherwise. Don't overcommit yourself. Be of assistance the best you can. Don't, be, don't pamper that person. Don't do it to the extent where you're going to do yourself harm, that relationship harm, and put that person in a position where they can just lean heavily on your, on your generosity. Uh, it is not Christian to uh, pamper a person in their inability to mismanage their money. It's not Christian at all. And I know you've heard me say that before, and I know some get concerned when I say that, but I've heard it so many times, a Christian thing is to help. Yes, it is, but not to the extent where you hurt yourself and end up hurting your relationship with that person. You need to know who you're dealing with, you need to understand and look at their, their, uh, the way they handle their money. Wisdom admonishes us to be careful with how much we help a person. It's good to help a person who helps themselves, is it not? That's the best type of help you can give someone, not help them forever. You fish for someone, they're not going to ever learn to fish for themselves. Teach them how to fish, and they'll have food for a lifetime, right? That's the idea. All right, so we must always keep in mind the duty of charity does not exclude the duty of justice. 
And you can refer to Exodus chapter 25, rather Exodus 23, 25, 2, and 3 on, on that. Uh, there's admonition there to, to help and be responsible for the poor, but there's also admonition in Exodus chapter 23 to not be impartial to the poor just because they're poor. And, uh, you know, we, we, and I certainly don't believe politics has all the answers. There are people, uh, even Christians, who believe politics has the answer to all the questions. But we go, we go from, from the right to the left and to the left to the right in, in, uh, in American politics. And, um, and we go back and forward and we never can seem to get it right in the middle, as God would have us do. We ought to help the poor, but not be impartial to the poor and lose our heads in the process. And uh, that's good counsel for us, us individually. Amen? Sure. Let's go to Wednesday. We've got nine minutes, so we've got two days. Wednesday, protect your work. Protect your work. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Let me read this for you. You've heard this before. Let me read it. It says, go to the what? The ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer, gathers her food in the harvest. And I'll end right there for now. So we're told to go to the ant and be what? Wise. But who's admonished to go to the ant? The sluggard. The sluggard is admonished to go to the ant. What can we learn from the ant? The ants, ants are hard workers, are they not? Very hard workers. There are three types of ants, the queen, the sterile, sterile females, and then the, the working females, and then the males. Every ant has a job, and they do that job well. Some workers gather food for the colony. Some ants store the food they harvest in special chambers in their nests. Other ants feed and care for the queen and her developing young. Still others build chambers and tunnels, and they use their saliva to make the dirt walls hard. Some work, worker ants are soldiers, and they protect the colony. Art colonies can, uh, can also grow to be quite large. Some tropical ants build downward. They make room. Some have been known to reach 20 feet deep. Um, a group of nests in one area may cover the expanse of a tennis court. And you, we're talking about little ants. So you're talking about millions of these ants in these colonies. Wow, amazing. Ants are industrious. They're hardworking and they're planners. So the admonition is for us, don't think that good fortune will come to us, it'll just going to fall out of the sky. You know, your dad probably told you the same thing he told me. Um, money doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't grow on trees, that's right, yeah, money doesn't grow on trees. We used to tell our literature evangelists, you can spend all day on your knees if you want, but not one book is going to sell itself. Not going to happen, you see. You've got to give your best if you expect God to bless. Did you know that God can bless, cannot bless nothing? I'm going to let that settle for just a moment. God cannot bless nothing. He has to bless something. So if you work hard, He can bless that. If you're lazy, can He bless that? If you don't give Him something to bless, can He bless it? No. So we're admonished to go to the ant and be wise. Now look at verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read this. I know someone had that, but for time's sake, I'm going to read it. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? Now, the word sluggard just simply means slothful or indolent or lazy person, a slack individual, a good-for-nothing individual, a sluggard. Uh, how long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep? So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. So while the ant works, what does a sluggard do? The sluggard sleeps. Now, it's okay to sleep. 
You need eight hours of beauty rest each night, seven, eight, some need less. But there it is. Kids need a little bit more. So there it is. Get your rest. But while they should be working, what's the sluggard doing? Sleeping. That's right. The sluggard is sleeping. While the ants are storing up for the future, what's the sluggard doing? The sluggard doesn't care for the future, just for the the present, is making no plans for the future or for future emergencies. The sluggard can only expect poverty because they don't, they're not industrious, they don't work hard, they don't give their level best. You know how fast a garden snail moves, a slug moves? I understand it's 50 yards per hour. That is 35, it takes a, a snail 35 hours to travel one mile or 1.6 kilometers for our Canadian friends. Amazing. 35 hours to travel a col- uh, one mile or 1.6 kilometers. How fast does a sloth move? <laughs> now, I, I was doing a little research and I found out when a sloth's, sloths, a sloth, a sloth's life is being threatened, it runs or moves at the speed of four meters or 13 feet per minute. That's when it's in a hurry. (laughs) So indolence and laziness gets a person nowhere. And notice again, who's encouraged to go to the ant? Is the ant encouraged to go to the ant and learn from the ant? Don't misunderstand me here today. If you're an industrious person, you work hard, this is not encouragement for you to go work harder. This is encouragement for the lazy person to go to work. All right? So the sluggard is to go to the ant and be wise and to learn from the ant. We also need to remember, though, that God encourages balance. Uh, Work, yes. The Sabbath teaches us that, doesn't it? Go ahead. Six days, working days. Ezekiel calls the six days working days. But on the seventh day, you get to rest. get to be refreshed. You get to rest in the Lord, you see. The Sabbath teaches us that God wants our lives to be balanced. Well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull off Thursday's lesson in... What have we got? We've got three minutes. Okay, let's look here. Thursday's lesson. Proverbs chapter 6. Let's just read verses 12 through 15 together. Proverbs 6, 12 through, 13, through 15. We just talked about the ant. We talked about the sluggard. Notice the similarities between the sluggard and this man who walks in wickedness. Look at this. Proverbs 6, verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth... He winks with his eyes. He shuffles with his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He despises evil continually, devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly, he shall be broken without remedy. It's interesting. There are similarities between the walking wicked and the sluggard. They're uncanny. Both think of who? Themselves only. Both are just thinking of themselves only. They both follow their own wisdom and their own inclinations. They do what they think is best. Proverbs 16 verse 25 reminds us, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof thereof is a way of death. You can think you're doing the right thing, but you can only know the right thing from the Word of God. And, And wisdom tells us we want to follow the Word of God, you see. The sluggard is sleeping, So the sluggard isn't hearing anything, and he's not walking, he's not using his feet. And then the wicked, the wicked is walking and talking, but they're not using their ears. So neither the sluggard nor the wicked are listening. 
They're not paying attention to instruction and, and wisdom, you see. The, and the end of both of these individuals is the same. It's demise and destruction. Interestingly, the evil has two effects. It has an effect on, the, on others. Here we read about the wicked individuals sowing discord, con- devising evil continually. This person's not content just messing up their own lives, messing up the lives of others. But evil also has an effect upon the sinner, the one who's perpetrating the, uh, the mischief, you see. Um, you know, we're, no man is an island. The actions we take, the lives we live, end up impacting and affecting other individuals. And by God's grace, we want to we wanna be a saver of life unto life, amen? We want to bless and benefit other people's lives and, uh, and to live in the way of righteousness, to walk in the way of truth and holiness, to live lives of wisdom, biblical wisdom, you see. And we can only be wise, truly wise, as we allow Christ to live in us and give us a new set of principles, new purposes, a changed heart. If we don't, then we're just going to live an absolutely foolish life. How about we let Jesus live his life through us? What do you say? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.